I want us to look this morning at the, in this final week at the fruit-bearing work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a quite impactful and very intriguing, and yet in some ways you'll find it to be blatantly obvious. You'll be like, oh, I knew that, but it's amazing how sometimes the simplest things just fly by us. I hope this morning will be a, a, a kind of a, a jog to you, maybe a jar to not forget what's obvious. Let's begin reading in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Here's what Paul would say, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to them and now to us. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Or they're contrary, they're in opposition. Which means, let's just be honest here, there is a war going on inside of you and the church said what? We know that, right? That's what amen translates to, we know that. Right, we're with you, Todd. There's a, there's, a, there's a battle happening inside of you between the spirit and the flesh. It says here, these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But, and here's the good news, if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And verse 19 begins a list of things that describes those who are under the law. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, meaning they're not hard to spot. You can see them. They are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, let's just be honest. No one escapes that list. You've all had moments where you've been guilty of those things. They're at one time or perhaps at a habitual manner. And what gets me is this phrase, and things like these. Like, just this, this list that, wow, man, how do you get out of that? How do you escape that? He's going to tell us in this text. Just notice this, this list isn't one that you're pointing to saying, oh, that's about them. No, let's just be honest. This list is about us. This is us before the spirit. This is, the, this is how the flesh is evidenced. And he says about this list and those who practice these things, those who evidence this list, these works of the flesh, he says, I warn you. And that's a key word there. In other words, he's bringing a somber sobering admonition here. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, the word there means to practice, to continually embrace these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So can I just be pastorally plain with you? Serial idolaters. I'm just gonna pick out a few in this list. These works of the flesh that are evident. Serial sexual immorality. Serial rivalries. Serial divisively, divisive people. In other words, if this is just the way you go about life, this is how you live. You're not a Christian. 
You will not inherit God's kingdom. You're not born of the spirit. You are evidencing works of the flesh, which means you're, this is what you're born with. This is, this is what you have and are sourced by. This is what you're living like. And so just be aware, this is a staggering portion of scripture that ought to cause every single person to ask, what are the signs of my life? And what do they say? And the scriptures here say, if these works are the serial nature of your life, this is what's evidenced on and on and on, just um, on an ongoing basis, quit kidding yourself. You're not part of the family of God or of his kingdom. I say that out of great compassion for you. I believe great compassion leads to great clarity. I would hate for you to stand before God one day thinking you were good to go when your entire life before that moment was characterized and evidenced just the works of the flesh. And at that point, would you happen to say to yourself, well, I wish somebody would have told me, consider this, that moment. With compassion and clarity, I'm trying to say to you, if this list characterizes your life, quit kidding yourself. You've yet to be born by the Spirit. But verse 22 shows us there's a different story to be told. Amen? He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, notice that's different than works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. Hallelujah. Amen? In other words, there's not a, a law that says we own you. You have to do these things and there's a penalty if you do. Christ has freed us from the curse of the law. So now there is an obligation, but not to works of the flesh, but to a to a, a, a new birth, to letting God's fruit be born from within. In other words, we're not bound by the law or to the law. We're born by the Spirit. He says those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And you should circle verse 24. It's really a good summary statement of how we deal with verses 19 through 21. Like how do we rid ourselves of practicing these works of the flesh? We must belong to Christ and we then crucify the flesh. That's what God does for us through his son by the power of his spirit from the moment of regeneration forward. God is continually sanctifying us, which in other words is crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires so that they do not characterize us. They're not evident in our life. This is the work of God through Christ and the Spirit, which is why he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, and by the way, I think that is a reference back to the phrase crucified the flesh. When the Holy Spirit empowers regeneration in your life, brings you to spiritual life, causes you to die to sin, that's living by the Spirit. He says this, if we are living by the Spirit, if we've done verse 24, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So walk in the power of the Spirit in the same way that, uh, by the same Spirit that birthed you. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. 
just as a side note here, some of you may wonder, like, how in the world does verse 26 fit with verse 25 and what's before? It doesn't seem to kind of go. I don't think it should. I think this is a, 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 a unfortunate chapter break. I believe verse 26, remember, verses were added, the divisions were added by men uh, hundreds of years ago. The Bible was written just in paragraph form. I believe verse 26 actually belongs in the next paragraph. And if we're not conceited and don't provoke, we actually be encouraged then to help those who are spiritually struggling. So I, I just be aware, if you're wondering, man, how does that work? But I think for sake of continuity and understanding, we often just kind of piece it together in a message. So I'm just going through verse 26, when technically I think it fits better with the next chapter. So here in this chapter, we, in, in these last few verses, there's a number of things that stand out to us. There's two that are primary. I think you, you find, first of all, you find this idea of signs. And we can use the word traits, but I'm gonna go with signs because I love the word evident. Do you see that word back in old verse 19? In other words, something's flashing from your life. It's either works of the flesh or it's fruit of the spirit. Now we can say the word fruits, it's it's a way to describe all of these together. But did you know that the word fruit there is actually singular? And so the best way to see it is when you look at a bowl of fruit, perhaps in your kitchen, you don't say, oh, look at all those fruits. You don't say that. What do you say? Oh, look, there's some fruit. And you actually mean lots of things. Could be a banana, could be an orange, could be an apple. But you don't say there's fruits. Just like you don't say, look at the deers in the field. You say, look at those deer. And there's more than one. So he's saying here, listen, there's a number of things God's spirit does in your life that shows up on the outside that's evidenced. It's just called fruit. So if someone says fruits of the spirit and someone else says fruit, don't like parse their word and kind of come at them. It's okay. We're, we kind of know what we're talking about, right? This is really what's happening here. There are two, and I'll use the word lists. There are two groups of signs. One evidences life and it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And one evidence is death. And it's, the, it's evidenced by the works of the flesh. Now, I say these are often traits. Let me just tell you a couple things about these traits briefly. These traits in this text, I believe, are representative. And I base that on the use of the phrase, such things, it's used twice. Do you see it there in verse, oh, uh, verse 21, verse 23? In both the list of the works of the flesh and in the list of the fruit of the spirit, he does use the phrase such things. So I think there's probably a, a wider array of, of things talked about. He's giving us some of the, some of the ones that are, are clearly seen. They're evident. But they're not just representative. Can I be frank with you here? They're indicative. They indicate, watch this, what's inside. Remember, these are just external evidential signs of what's happening or not happening inside. And this is not new teaching. This is not a new thought. Jesus said in Matthew 7, some of the most profound, staggering, and yet plain words in the New Testament. He said, by their fruit, you will know them. And then he apparently looked maybe at what was around him, Maybe he pointed or maybe he just recalled their memory. He said, does a, does a thorn bush produce grapes? And you can just hear the crowd kind of snickering, can't you, when he says that? Like, well, of course not, Jesus. 
I mean, do you see what he's doing? He's appealing to their, their obvious common sense. Like, guys, you know this is true uh, uh, horticulturally. Like, like, thorn bushes don't produce grapes. Apple trees don't produce oranges. And then he says, so it is with us. I mean, if you're producing this kind of work, the source is the flesh. And he lists those here. And if this kind of fruit is coming from you, then it's the spirit. And so he's just making a really clear uh, line in the sand. He's given us two lists that are both representative and indicative. And I just want to ask you to pause for a moment. And based on those lists, based on those traits, where does your life line up? Based on those lists. The other thing that this text does is it points us not just to signs, but it points us to the source. In fact, I would say that perhaps this text, these 10 or 11 verses, have perhaps more often than not been mispreached or maybe even misread because we read them and our minds and our eyes are immediately drawn to the two lists, aren't they? Works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit, and we suddenly start thinking externally only and we miss the point of the text. The real point of these verses is not the signs. It's one of the points. But the major point is what is sourcing the signs. Let me prove it to you. Four times there are verbs mentioned that refer to living or walking or being led by the Spirit. The word Spirit is used in all four of these verbs. Notice with me, would you? He says in the beginning, walk by the Spirit. He then uses the phrase led by the Spirit. He then says to live by the Spirit as well as keep in step with the Spirit. These are four verbs that point to a source and an action, yes, that would then result in the signs. Are you following me? You tracking with me? In fact, let me just have you notice something in your Bible. Keep your nose in the book. Look at this with me. If you'll notice at the beginning of verse 16, the, the, the phrase walk by the Spirit, if you go to verse 25, he says there, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. This is really what we call an inclusio. That's the big word for the word I use a lot. I call, I say uh, bookends. I look for bookends a lot in scripture because it kind of shows you where thoughts start and stop. This is one of those bookends. You could use the word envelope or brackets, but the technical word is inclusio. Paul here is using the idea of the Spirit in us and then empowering us to live, to walk, to be led as a way to discuss how does someone not do these things and then do these things? You see, Paul's point isn't what you're doing or not doing. Paul's point is what makes either of those possible. His point is not as much about the signs as it is the source. And the source is what's inside of you. I'll give you one more item of proof. Notice some words here used. I'll call these nouns. Well, because they are nouns. I'll just call them nouns. They're nouns, okay? But there are four verbs and there's two nouns, but used multiple times. The first one's the word desires. That's an inside word, isn't it? That's an internal word. The second word is passions. Again, it's what's inside 
the word desires is used four times. For 16, uh, I think a couple times in 17, then 24, and the word passions is used in verse 24. So here you have five internal nouns, and you've got four, I'll call them internal verbs. So you've got nine uses of language to talk about source in about 10 or 11 verses. And so understand that in this text, don't let your mind just go to the list and become an externally driven, okay, I've got to act like this and not like this so folks will think I'm a Christian. That isn't the point. The point is, why are these things evident in your life? And if what's evident in your life are the works of the flesh, if those are the signs everyone's seeing, then you've got a source problem. Are you with me, church? But if your life is evidencing fruit, not works, that's good news. God's transforming your life by his spirit. And man, as you see your life changing, it should bring a smile to your face. I talked to a young man, I think it was about three weeks ago. He came up to me, and, and this, is, this happens, I would say, quite frequently at First Family. I, I love this. This is one of the favorite parts of what I do here. Um, another one is just your stories. I look around this room, and I'll see it in the next two services. Just your stories of how God has brought so many of you to faith in Christ. Uh, you know, he's worked in your marriage. He's worked in your life. And just being here for 18 years and seeing God just write your story, and it's, it's probably the, one of the deepest sources of joy for me and Julie. And part of that is just these conversations in which people come and they say, this young man said to me, he said, Todd, he said, I don't have to tell you this. He said, but man, about three, about three weeks ago, something just clicked in me. He said, I, I felt the Holy Spirit just breathe on me in a way that I, I've not sensed it before. He says, I think I was saved a couple of years ago. We baptized him here. He said, and I'm not saying I wasn't saved, but it did seem to be more maybe mental assent or like, I know this is true. I accept it. He said, but in the last month or so, I feel like it's all become so real, like from black and white to living color. He said, man, I'm seeing God just change me and do things in my heart and give me appetites I didn't know that I had and get rid of appetites I thought I could never get rid of. He said, something's happening in me. I'm like, amen. That's the spirit at work, amen. In fact, let me just give you a couple of words that God's been pressing on me this week. If you try to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit and walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Without the Spirit, it's impossible. Impossible. It, it will frustrate you. It will wear you out. You'll quit. It's, it's an impossible, it's an image you're chasing to impress others and you can't do it. But if you have the Spirit and you see, oh, this is what the Spirit will do, it's inevitable. Think about this. Would you rather have impossible or inevitable? Give me inevitable every time because the spirit of God to those who belong to God will ultimately and inevitably produce his fruit. Why? Because you have his seed. That leads me to say this to you. I, I don't want you to miss the, the contrasting words here. The works of the flesh are never called fruit. They're called works because they're, they're externally focused types of activities. They do come from the wrong source inside, but it's more that they come from the absence of the right source. There's no Holy Spirit 
with which to battle or overcome these sins. And so you just do what's natural to you. You're bound to the law of sin and death. And so you just act that way. But because there's conviction often and there's guilt and there's the thing called a conscience and there's common grace often, we try to cover those or hide those or act like we don't do them. And so we find ourselves in this cat and mouse game a lot. Like, man, I, I hate that this is what I want to do, but I do want to do it, but I don't want people to know I want to do it. So we try to cover it and hide it. And it's just an, it's an impossible game to win. But when the Holy Spirit is inside of us, he's, he's birthing fruit. He's bearing fruit and his power cannot be stopped ultimately. It can be quenched momentarily. We can grieve him momentarily. But in the end, the Holy Spirit does mark those who truly belong to God and those who belong to God will become like Christ ultimately, eventually. And I'm just so thankful for the Holy Spirit's inevitable fruit bearing power because without him it would be impossible you see what I've kind of alluded to is an action that a lot of us do and I think well-intended well-meaning people do this let me just kind of give you an example but it's very unfortunate because it does serve the devil's purposes and often deceives people here's what we do I'm gonna start with you, Bob. Can you take a piece of fruit here? I'm not sure you can say I got a little basket of fruit here. Here's what we do. Bob, can you stand up and help me for a second? We see that list and we think, I'd much rather be joyful, loving. You know, I'd like to be gentle and long-suffering. But man, I just don't know how to make that happen. So you know what I'll do? I'll just act real joyful. So we try this, joy, smile, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Man, you sure are joyful today. <laughs> so Bob is joyful, right? He's trying to attach externally something that really can only be birthed internally. You tracking with me? But this is common practice in church. And because sometimes it works for a while and a little bit, we think, oh, they're probably a Christian. But all they've really done is just attach something and they keep doing this. And I wish that joy would stay. Finally, it falls off. So they, oh, that's not very good. Thanks, Bob. Or, let's try it, Keith, can we? You want to stand up here for a minute? So I'm being repetitious. I'm being a little facetious. I want you to remember this. We think, you know, I just need to be gentle. There we go. So, gentleness. Hope it works. Turn around. That's not going to work, by the way. <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> okay, I'll be done with the illustration. Keith, thank you. Bob, thank you. Um, do you get the point? So, so this is what many, and I, I tend to think well-intended church people do. And here's, if I can just be very pastorally frank with you, and I have been probably in this series more than, at times in the past, I've been using that phrase a lot because I'm, I feel very passionate and compassionate for you. That happens because we're trying to cover. We're trying to make sure people think we are joyful and, and we don't want to actually deal with what's going on at the root. 
We don't want to ask ourselves questions like, why is there a long-term absence of joy? Like, why is there a consistent bent towards division and rivalry and dissension instead of gentleness? Or why haven't I ever experienced change from, from sexual promiscuity, impurity, to purity? Like, like, why haven't I experienced that? Why don't... Where's the change in my life? And so because we feel badly about that, because we feel like, well, that's what the church shouldn't, shouldn't uh, you shouldn't want that in the church. So we start attaching external things to our life that are actually good things, but it never works that way. It's always temporary, in the moment. Um, it's just a cover. What has to happen and what this text is pointed at is you have to have the spirit of God attaching you and immersing you in Christ so that you crucify the flesh with its passions and desires so that these things, they don't define you or characterize you. They're not evident. Are there one-offs or momentary times in which we fail? I'm sure there are. But they're not the lingering evidential uh, pattern of our life. And when they're not, we begin to see, oh, the Spirit's doing his job. He's bearing fruit in my life. And so this morning, what I want you to mainly get is this single truth, this simple principle, that genuine spiritual signs of life are not externally attached, but they're internally sourced by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's my sneaky suspicion, there's some folks in this room probably, and there will be at every service, who are attachers. And right now, you're experiencing conviction. You're sensing the Holy Spirit just kind of working in your life. And you know you've been trying to cover. And every morning, every week, it's like, I gotta find more duct tape. I gotta be more joyful. I gotta be more gentle. And man, it's this treadmill that you're on to try to make this happen. But I'm here to say to you in, with, with extreme clarity, that's impossible long-term. But if you will trust the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do, it will actually be inevitable. And your life will change over time because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So do you see now why we need the Holy Spirit? It's the only way we can really source life change. Deep down, fundamental life change. You say, well, Todd, what do I do about this then? If this is a principle that's taught in scripture, if Paul makes it evidently clear, if Jesus did the very same thing, if, if this facetious, almost you know, plainly obvious illustration points to this fact, like, Todd, what do we do now? Three words for you. Abide, don't attach. You see, throughout Scripture, we are called to abide in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, Jesus said this in John 15, I think it's referenced here in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit then is, and I don't even want to say naturally born, the fruit of the Spirit is supernaturally born from within. 
and you begin to look more like someone who's joyful and gentle and kind and long-suffering from the inside out, not like someone who's just attaching those things from the outside in. And you know the difference. Come on. You can tell when someone's just putting on a front, trying to impress you. And you can tell when that person's genuinely exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to call you this morning to abiding, not attaching. Abiding would be synonymous with living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. There's someone greater than us who's sourcing all of the power. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And so we rest in him. We abide in him. We walk in him. We're led by him. We, we live by him. So it's a commitment to a Holy Spirit-led lifestyle, trusting Jesus, repenting of sin and relying on the forgiveness of God through Christ to our account, and then just abiding in that. So will you today, when you leave, will you abide and not attach? And if in this room, there's those who said, I'm done with attaching. And I pray there are. And perhaps this morning you've realized, I've been trying to attach because I know I don't even belong to God. If you're done with attaching, would you this morning trust in Jesus? Would you ask him to save you from your sin? You can't save yourself. It's impossible. But if you'll trust in Jesus, the one who came and lived and died on the cross for you, was raised from the dead by God the Father, Christ will place you into his family. That's where you'll abide and that's where you'll rest. He'll give you the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, to be with you, to be in you, to mark you as one of God's uh, children. And what will happen over a period of time is you will begin to gradually, but clearly evidence the fruit of the Spirit because he's inside you, empowering you, changing you, sanctifying you. That all starts with simply trusting in Christ in salvation and then abiding in that. So I just want to ask you, as we close out this series on the Holy Spirit, don't leave here and think, okay, I've got eight weeks of message on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to put them all into practice and start duct taping your life to death. Don't do that. Abide in Christ and watch the Holy Spirit do his work. It's inevitable. Otherwise, it's impossible. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.